Hey there, I'm Dana, a registered dietitian and registered dietitian exam tutor. And this is my podcast where we go over all of the questions that have been posted to my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Study Group with Dana over the past week. And we not only chat about the answers, but why are they the answers as well as answer any questions that students have posted on the page throughout the week. This is a weekly podcast, so be sure to tune in each week for new questions. And of course, I would love to see any of you guys at the live version of this on Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern time. So our first question is from me and this I often when I'm at work working at the hospital I often will kind of be discussing different things if people get questions I'm like I gotta post this on the Facebook page for my students. So this first question is an example of that. So I said kind of a multi-part question I said what is the Tylenol absorption study used for? You know where is Tylenol primarily absorbed and is this a helpful test? And so Tylenol absorption study you might see this in patients that we're concerned are not able to absorb anything with their GI tract, so they'll give them Tylenol and then they'll test for levels of Tylenol in the blood. And so this is primary, Tylenol is primarily absorbed in the small intestine, but you can see some absorption in the stomach. So the reason it's why it's not entirely helpful is it's not necessarily going to tell you, you know, that you're having malabsorption because if you're having malabsorption of the small intestine where it's primarily absorbed, you can still absorb a little bit too in your stomach. So often when we're asking for TPN on patients who are having malabsorption, doctors will often do a Tylenol absorption study and go, you know, they absorb Tylenol. It's in their blood. This means they don't need TPN. But we know kind of just like how we don't just use albumin as a test too to see malnutrition that, you know, if we're having a patient who's having massive weight loss and they're having diarrhea and they're losing all this weight, right, that's telling us that they're, you know, concerned for malabsorption. So having a patient, you know, with some serum Tylenol levels isn't really going to tell us that they're not having any malabsorption. So kind of similar to albumin, like we can use this a little bit, but we would never want to kind of put all of our ducks you know, or our eggs in one basket with saying like, oh, they absorb Tylenol. They're fine. They don't need TPN. Okay, next up, we have a question from Sarah. So she says, in the Inman review questions for domain one, question 69 asks, which has the lowest cholesterol content? And she said, I selected peanut butter and crackers, which was correct, but wondered what was the rationale behind this. And this is a perfect example of how when you're going through your questions, if you're left kind of after you see the answer, whether you got it right or wrong, and you're like, I still don't kind of know the rationale, that is a perfect question to ask on the Facebook page because that's going to make sure we talk about it. So the reason behind this, when we're thinking about cholesterol and thinking about sources of cholesterol, right, the majority of those are going to be our animal products. So when we're getting a question about, you know, which one has the lowest cholesterol content, knowing that cholesterol is going to be mostly in our animal products, it's going to be really helpful because you're going to be able to say like, well, the peanut butter and crackers doesn't have as many animal products in it, so it would be lower in cholesterol. Something definitely to watch out for is remember it's also the quantity of food too when they're asking these questions about like what would be the lowest in this. So I often get students who are getting questions about, you know, something like potassium. And so it says like which one's lowest in potassium and they have one option that says like, you know, bananas and like some other crazy stuff too 
you know, like thinking about like bananas, tomatoes, you know, things that they recognize as, oh, those, those are high potassium, you know, those are super common. It can't be that one. But then they might answer something that has, you know, an option that has like coconut water, but coconut water is also very, very high in potassium. So when you're getting these questions about like which one's the highest or which one's the lowest in something, you also want to look for those uncommon sources too because they're not going to ask you, you know, what has vitamin A in it, a carrot. So one thing that's really helpful, think about our vitamins and minerals too to kind of suss out these questions about what is highest, what is lowest, is I think it's really helpful to Google a picture of, you know, foods with calcium. Like I did that today for one of my family members who was like, where's calcium? I don't want to have milk. And it's really helpful to be like, oh yeah, it is in fish. Oh, it is in tofu too. So most of you guys are visual learners. So definitely looking at some of those visual cues are super, super helpful. So next one is a math question for us. So this student is saying, I had this problem. I'm trying to figure out. I'm not sure where I got it. And they're saying protein intake is 80 grams, urinary nitrogen is 26. And then it's asking like, is it positive or negative nitrogen balance? And so nitrogen balance is an equation that we do need to know. And to help us understand the equation, we wanna be thinking about kind of pulling back and saying, what is nitrogen balance? So nitrogen balance is a helpful tool to see if our patients are in catabolism or anabolism. And so one of the ways I learned this in college that I think is really helpful, and I know they say it in other places too, is my professor was always like, Anna builds. So when we're anabolic, right, we're building. So like this would be someone with a positive nitrogen balance because I'm eating and then I'm kind of like building, you know, maybe I'm growing, you know, maybe I'm healing, maybe I'm pregnant, you know, I'm building. So I'm going to be eating more protein than I'm excreting. And then catabolism, I like to say like cats knock things down. So this is, you're breaking it down. So I'm going to be eating, you know, a certain amount, but I'm excreting a lot more because I'm breaking it down. What we also want to remember too is this is nitrogen balance. Nitrogen balance is not protein balance. So we also need that key conversion factor that it takes 6.25 grams of protein to get one gram of nitrogen. So I'm thinking, okay, when I'm thinking about my nitrogen in, and let's go back to this question, we're saying that there's 80 grams of protein coming in. So I would divide 80 by 6.25, and that would tell me that I'm in total consuming 12.8 grams of nitrogen. And so then what I'm doing, so that's my in, and I'm comparing it to my out. So the first component, and this is, remember your parentheses, so you should have, if you're writing this down, you should be having 12.85 minus parentheses, and the parentheses are going to help make sure you get this right. You're, we're going to be saying minus parentheses, my urinary nitrogen. So they will always give this to you. So this is 26 grams in this one. And then what we're thinking is we also do plus four. So what we're doing with nitrogen balance is some, we're collecting 24 hours of urine and then we're calculating the nitrogen in that. But then we're going, eh, most of it's coming out in the urine, but maybe not all. So I'm adding plus four kind of as like, uh, yeah, I measured 26 coming out. 
like, but plus four kind of just to, you know, round it out because I know I'm going to be losing it at other places. So then what I should have is, you know, what's coming in. So we have 12.8 grams of nitrogen coming in. And then I'm subtracting that from the 30 grams of nitrogen that's coming out. So you want to solve for kind of each side first in this one before you subtract. So if we do that, we get negative 17.2, which tells us that we're having a negative nitrogen belt. So like this could be someone who has cancer, they had trauma, you know, they're catabolic too. Perfect. So the next one we have is a question from a student. They're saying, would sous vide cooking be considered moist cooking or dry cooking? Water is used as the heating medium, but it's not in direct content contact with the food. So that I know it's convection heat transfer, but from um, other re um, but for other reasons, you know, oh, and this was like, it haunts me. I'm like, I was laughing at that too. Um, and so you guys all did a great job in the comments this week too. You know, so when we're thinking about this, you know, this would kind of be moist because the whole point of like the bag is to like kind of like keep in like the natural juices of it, um, of it too. So you're kind of like cooking it in its own juice a little bit. First, like when we're thinking about dry cooking, we thought it'd be like cooking on the grill or cooking on a pan too. And so this would more be our moist kind of thinking about more that it's cooking in its own juice. But again, kind of a great, a great question too. Okay, next up, we have a TPN question. So this student said, can anyone help me with this question? I'm confused with the total... Um, I'm confused with the total volume in each individual milliliter per nutrient. Thank you in advance. Okay, so here this is another math. So calculator, pen, pencil, if you can. So it says determine the carbohydrate calories, lipid calories, and protein grams from a TPN solution being administered at 70 milliliters per hour over a 24-hour period. The solution is 250 milliliters of D70, 500 milliliters of 20%, I'm sorry, 500 milliliters of 10% amino acids, and then also 250 milliliters of 10% lipids. So something to remember in TPN. So unlike tube feeds, right, where if I give you a liter of tube feeds, right, all of it is kind of like mixed together. You know, there's not like a big free water section that I'm adding in. When we're doing TPN, you're thinking, you know, when they're making it, they're kind of infusing different amounts. So what we're saying is like, I have this overall TPN bag and I'm putting in, in the volume, right, is gonna be 70 milliliters per hour. So we do 70 times 24. This is saying this bag of TPN is 1,680 milliliters total. And so what I'm saying is like, yeah, that's my total volume and 250 is dextrose, 500 is amino acid, and 250 is lipid. And then the rest of it is free water and that's okay. But the rate in this one is fluff. And so what we want to do on this one, because it's asking for different units, because remember, we want to keep our units tight and get it right because your answer is not necessarily going to say grams, calories, and they can kind of switch it. So I would read through this, go, okay, I don't need the total volume because I have the volume for each one. 
And I would go, okay, carbohydrates. And again, using your, your scrap paper. So I would be saying, okay, carbs, it's looking for it in calories. So I'm going to be kind of trying to get over to calories. So X calories. So with this, I'm saying 250 milliliters of D70. So that's saying 70%, 70% of our dextrose. So I take my volume, 250 milliliters times 0.7, and that's telling me that there's 175 milliliters of dextrose, and it's a one-to-one -one ratio milliliters to grams for dextrose. So if there's 175 grams of dextrose, that's when I multiply my 3.4, and then that's saying, okay, the total calories from the dextrose is going to be 500 and 90. Uh, it's going to be 595. If we're saying, okay, we're going to be having 500 milliliters of 10%, right? We're thinking, okay, 500 times 0.1. And we're saying, okay, that's 50 grams. It's just looking for grams of protein here. And then what we're saying is for our lipids, we're getting 250 milliliters of our 10%. So I would do 250 times 0.1. And I'm sorry, I would do 250 times 1.1, sorry about that, to get my calories of my lipid, and that would be 250. So this one is kind of looking for kind of a variety of different components too. And so remembering, when they're telling us our volumes, you're just solving for the percent you're just solving for the percent there too. Okay, let's see. So we have, when we're looking next, we have another TPN question. You guys always have good questions. And we did that live class last week. So definitely if TPN is a trouble area for you, definitely check out the recorded class on my website. Remember, danajfnutrition.com. Just click tutoring, recorded classes, you'll find it. So let's do this TPN question that another student asked. So it said, determine the calorie contribution of carbohydrate from the following parental formula. The amounts are given per liter. So that's something to watch out for when you're doing the TPN. When it's saying per liter, you want to go, okay, well, I need to think about the total volume and then multiply times what it's giving me. Because if I just solve for a liter, that's not going to be enough. So here's what it's saying. It's saying amount given per liter. We're getting 300 milliliters of 60% dextrose. And so one thing to kind of pause here is it just wants calories from carbohydrate. So it is giving me dext, I mean, it is giving me amino acid, it is giving me lipid, but I only want dextrose. So I'm not going to focus on any of the other ones because that's just taking way too much time and I do not need it in here too. And so what we're saying on this one is if it's giving, if I'm getting my formula at 65 milliliters per hour times 24 hours, that's telling me that my volume right, is 1.56 liters. And so what I think is easiest, and if you think, you know, something else is easiest, again, always do what works for you, is to say, okay, let me solve for the calories per liter and then just multiply it times how much I have. So if I have 300 
milliliters of 60% dextrose, 300 times 0.6, and that's going to be 180 grams times 3.4 is 612. So if I have 612 calories per liter and I do times 1.56, then that's telling me that the total calories from my carb in this TPN are 951. That one's another great one to do too. So next one, we have a question from Anna about the ethnic model. And so this is a great one too, because again, a lot of people get this question in like pocket prep or e-ray prep. And it's like, what page is this on Inman? You know, you don't necessarily see this too. And what this is talking about too, is it's time, you know, kind of in the realm of cultural competence. And it's a model to kind of say, like, what are kind of some things that you should kind of be looking at and considering and valuing in patients from different cultures. And so when we're thinking about an ethnic model, it stands for explanation, treatment, healers, negotiate, intervention, um, as well as collaborate. And so what this is, is it's just kind of a tool we're using just, again, to kind of be culturally competent. The best thing to kind of think of is that this is, you know, when you're talking with your patient, you're, you know, asking them about these things. And if they're saying like, oh yeah, I'm using a doula, I'm using, you know, a medical, per like a medical man that you're aware of it too. So again, kind of being inclusive of other cultures is really what it's all about. And definitely too, in that post, people put some great links to. So definitely check that out on the Facebook page too. Next question we had from a student. She said she found this on Quizlet. Carrots rank in the middle of the glycemic index, but the glycemic uh, load of carrots is low. Which of the following explains this factor best? And so when we're thinking of this, it's our options are heating carrots lowers the glycemic load. The fiber in the carrots negatively affects the glycemic load. The small amount of absorbed carbohydrates is present in carrots and the, car the carbohydrates in the carrots are cleared from the tissue at a slower rate. So what we want to be thinking of is the difference between glycemic index, which is we're thinking about kind of the spike in the blood sugar and the actual amount of carbohydrates in an actual amount of carbohydrates in the carrots too. And so what we want to be thinking of too, when we're thinking about this is just kind of that difference, right? Carrots are going to have some fiber in them too. If we cook them, we know we're going to kind of make, you know, them a little bit sweeter, right? Think about when you're cooking carrots, you know, they're a little bit sweeter. They taste a lot, they taste a lot better too. And so watching for if a question is saying, you know, is it talking about glycemic index of how it's going to impact Verse, is it talking about glycemic load on here? So if we kind of look at the different answers, right, and say, you know, well, which one is true? So A, we're saying heating the carrots lowers the glycemic load. Well, the glycemic load is the amount of carbs, so no. Okay, then we're saying the fiber in the carrot is negative, is going to negatively impact the glycemic load, which is saying it's kind of coming, causing it to kind of come down. So you know, definitely, you know, the fiber is going to impact, you know, the glycemic index too. C is saying a small amount of fiber absorbed 
and it's absorbed from the carrots, which is true. That's about the glycine blue. So there's just a small amount of carbs in the carrots um, too. And then, you know, D doesn't really make sense. The carbohydrates in carrots are cleared from tissues at a slower rate. So this one is really saying that, you know, if we're talking about glycemic load, that's the amount of carbs, which is going to be much lower in carrots than, um, than some of our other foods too. Another question we have, if linoleic acid replaces saturated fat in the diet, which of the following is true? Um, and so when we're thinking about this one too, so the answer was total carbohydrate um, that we're going to be, oh, that total cholesterol is including HDL is going to decrease. And so what we're thinking here too is we're, think, we're thinking about the difference between our different types of fat too. And so when we're thinking about our linoleic slash alpha linoleic too, you know, we're thinking about, you know, our omega-3s versus our omega-6s. Let's see, we had a question in the chat just for that last question too. So the last question, the answer was the difference between them was that there's a small amount of absorbable carbohydrates in the carrots was the answer there. And don't forget to, whether you're watching live or you're on the podcast too, this will be recorded so you can also rewind as well too. Next up, we're having questions. What's the best way to monitor an infant's failure to thrive is to plot what? And so when we're thinking about failure to thrive, failure to thrive is a little bit nonspecific, right? Failure to thrive could be, you know, looking at a variety of the different growth charts, you know, could also be doing nutrition-focused physical exam. And so when we're thinking about failure to thrive, in the infants, we want to be looking at their overall kind of progression and how they're comparing to the weight to, for length is going to be one of the best things we're doing because we need to compare it to how they're kind of stacking up in terms of comparing their weight to their length. And we know that most children, right, they should be a little bit proportional too on that. But also with failure to thrive, the bigger thing that this question doesn't necessarily address is you want to be looking, you know, are they kind of falling off their growth curve? Are they having, you know, are they moving major percentiles? You know, we can also look at are they less than the fifth percentile too? We can also be saying too, if they're not having, you know, multiple bowel movements a day, you know, usually like eight to 10 is a good one to look for too. You know, so when we're thinking about infants, we have multiple measures to look at. So failure to thrive is not necessarily super specific, but the best chart to use would definitely be weight to length. Now, if the question was asking about acute or chronic malnutrition, for chronic malnutrition, we're going to use the length for age. And then for when we're looking at acute malnutrition, that would be the weight for age. So just watch with these questions. Is it talking about failure to thrive or is it talking about malnutrition? Because those are a little are going to be a little bit different too. Thanks for tuning in for this week's practice question review. Don't forget that we are doing these live on my Facebook page, Registered Dietitian Exam Tutoring with Dana RD. 
every Sunday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, and I would love to have you join live. You can also head to my website, DanaJFNutrition.com, to find out about the latest classes as well as study tips and services. Thanks for tuning in.